Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop, the newly married Johnny Ginter <laughs> on the right. other side. Do you feel different? You've Everybody asks you, when you and I, do you feel different? And I always would say, well, no. No, I yeah, don't. No, I don't. Too I much mean, different. But the ring, now, do, are you wearing the ring? Did you, have you noticed the difference in the ring feel? I am wearing the ring. It's I really, really like my ring, actually. It's it's a little big. Okay. You may have to get another one that's like a size smaller. It wasn't very expensive, so we can get another one. But it's it's yeah. pretty cool. It's like it's this polished uh, rosewood kind of thing. And okay. uh, it's kind of got like a metal center. And it's just, I don't know, it's pretty pretty kick-ass. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I like I like having it on. It's neat. I, I will share this very quick story on my wedding night. We my we the we paid the band for an extra hour, so it was like midnight by the time. Yeah. So we got married in California. So then it was like a twenty minute ride to our hotel uh, from the resort that we got married at. So we're driving to the hotel, and the the all of our wedding party was also most of them were staying at this hotel, and so they had beat us there because they, we were in like a limo, I think, and they were like partying in the lobby of the hotel. Nice. And my newly married wife says, oh, let's go. Let's go drink. Let's go. Part. And I said, honey, it's midnight. This is my time. This is yeah. now we're going to go upstairs because we don't need to get hammered on our wedding night. Right. Like we've had the champagne. We've had a few pops. That's fine. We don't need to get hammered. And to her credit, she did listen. And she really hasn't listened to me since. But on that night, uh, she, she did listen. And we didn't get hammered uh, on our wedding night. So that's good. That's good. Yeah, and you gotta. Yeah. I mean, you gotta. Enjoy I recommend that to people. On. Like, don't as the as the as the bride and groom don't get hammered. Yeah. No, completely agree. Just have fun. Enjoy the people yeah. around you. I mean, it was it was a really good time. I'm. I think it turned out pretty much as well as we could have ever hoped. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Well, congratulations, buddy. I'm I'm proud of you. Happy for you. That's awesome. Thank it's a uh, marriage is a wonderful thing. Most yeah. of the time. Um. Let's. So this was. <laughs> Normally we would have started. We have a nine and zero basketball team, and Mark yeah. Titus is going to join us in a minute. And so what we're going to do is talk the majority of our basketball uh, with Mark, and um, we look forward to that. That'll be a fun conversation. That that, that basketball, the basketball team is pure joy, and it's so much fun. And there's a lot of facets to it, and and we're going to talk about that with Mark. But what I thought we would do off the top here is I just want to lay out kind of what's happened in the last forty eight hours or so on the Ohio State football coaching front. And I'm very intrigued by the situation with Ryan Day. If you were to believe the reporting, and I, and the words of Urban Meyer, Ryan Day was offered the offensive coordinator job of the Tennessee Titans by Mike Vrabel. Congratulations to Vrabes, by the way, to being the new head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Day was offered the offensive coordinator job in Tennessee. Okay. From the outside looking in, that's a pretty plump, plump job. That is, you're talking about, you are going to be, I just said plump for reasons beyond any explanation. It should have been plump. <laughs> that, that job, that job is coordinating Marcus Mariota. Yeah. If you get, if you have any measure of success coordinating Marcus Mariota, who, by the way, is kind of the prototype for so many of these quarterbacks coming out of college. Like if you can make it work with a dual threat guy, which so many of these guys are, Ryan Day with two good years in Tennessee could be a head coach in the NFL. Right. Quickly. That, well, that, I mean, that happens in a snap of a fingers. You go from court. Look at Vrabel. That's exactly I mean, what I was going to say. Right. Like, they just follow that path. I mean. It's not hard. Like, you go the NFL. Now, I can't speak to the longevity of it, but you can be a head coach in the NFL in two years upon yeah. arrival. And Ryan Day could have done that. And I, so I look at that job offer and I say to myself, when I saw those reports over the weekend, I say, oh, he's, I mean, he's going to take that job. I mean, he's yeah. going to take that job. You don't turn that job down. 
And then Johnny, he turned the job down. Right. Okay. So then we get the news today that he is now the offensive coordinator. So now instead of having two co-coordinators, we have two offensive coordinators. But really, he's the boss because he's going to be calling the plays at Ohio State. As of the as of the time that we're recording this, I have no idea about the monetary details, what his raise was. I know he was going to get eight hundred thousand last year anyway. My guess is he goes over a million dollars now, um, as as the you know offensive coordinator, co whatever he is, splitting the duties with Wilson. But really, it's his influence. I I just would put this out. This is wildly speculative, but there is part of me that says there's even more to this than that. Okay, because. I can't help but think, and I'm not talking about promises and certainly nothing in writing or anything like that, but it's my feeling from the outside looking in that Ohio State thinks there's a chance that Ryan Day could follow Urban Meyer at some point. Okay. And they already had one of those guys in Tom Herman and he left. Right. He's not coming back because now he's at Texas. I want to have that conversation. That's the conversation I want to have too. Yeah. And I'm just curious. Something to bring up. Um, I just am curious if some dialogue took place and said, look, we think you have a future here. Like we all know he's bright. We all know all we know he's coveted. Apparently an SEC job was he was in the mix, probably at Mississippi State. And he he says no to all of that. And then he turns down this Titans job, which is a great job. Yeah. (laughs) And you're I just wonder if there's a little more going on here. Well, so. Because one of the things that I thought was really interesting is what Vrabel was saying about Ohio State being kind of the farm system for the mm-hmm. NFL. And, you know, kind of to me, in, in retrospect, to me, that almost feels like he's kind of talking directly today there. You know what I mean? Like, hey, hey, yeah. there's no reason to take anything at the college level if you're getting offered something at the NFL level. Because I think that was Vrabel's attitude. I mean, he, I think he realized yeah. that he could make that a stepping stone. And so I think the yeah. dynamics here are just really fascinating. I, they are. I think, I mean, look, I I don't know that Ohio State and Urban Meyer and all these guys are, are maybe thinking quite that far ahead as terms of like, you know, coach and waiting or something like that. Or maybe that's a possibility that they're considering. But really, to me, what I'm more interested in and, and what I think maybe is more telling about uh, how Ohio State functions in general, especially in offense, just how much is Ryan Day really going to be controlling the offense? Because honestly, mm-hmm. like a lot of times you can see Urban Meyer's signature over a lot of things that happen in games where you've yeah. got the first 20 plays planned out and that's Kevin Wilson, Ryan Day, whoever. And then Urban Meyer takes over and his proclivities and tendencies change how they play offense. If Ryan Day was said, all right, Urban's not going to do that anymore. This is solely your offense then I can see him coming back. But otherwise, to me, I am, Bo, I am really confused about me why too. he would do that. If, if you're the kind of guy who's like ambitious, you want to rise up those recruiting rank or those coaching ranks. Um, I don't know how you turn down an NFL offensive coordinator job. I don't. It's, it's like, I again, I love Ohio State and I want Ohio State to be great and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. man, you're going to make more money, higher profile, the kind of talent you can work with at Tennessee. To me, that is either that says a lot about Ryan Day and how he feels about Ohio State and college football in general, or that says a lot about Mike Vrabel, frankly. Um, and maybe they're you know confident well, him to get that job done. So I, I just to yeah. me this is fascinating because I it is such a weird decision. It's a great decision. I think he's a great coach, and I'm I'm happy for Ohio yeah. State. But to me, that's not the one I would make if I were in his shoes. And so I'm a little befuddled by it. 
he's not you're not you wouldn't be leaving to be the offensive coordinator of the Bengals or the Brown. I mean, right. the, the Tennessee offense's ceiling is pretty high. Yeah. And they've got this coveted kid who's basically a facsimile of 80 percent of the quarterbacks coming out of college now. And and they would you would want if he could show success with Mariota, everybody who's got kind of a dual threat quarterback guy would be interested in hiring him to be the head coach. Yeah. I mean, like Dirk Cutter is coaching the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like, I mean, you go Pat Shermer got the Giants job. Like, if you're Ryan Day, you could go from being the offensive coordinator for a couple of years with the Tennessee Titans to being the head coach of fill in the blank NFL team very quickly. I mean, yeah. that can be a two-year deal. So look, Ohio State gave him play call him. Okay, great. Ohio State makes him coordinator. Okay, great. I have a feeling that Ryan Day's influence on the offense last year was pretty big anyway. So I don't know how much more he's going to get other than total play calling. Uh, you know, if, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way Tom had it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, Dan said on the television show that we taped today, he said, you know, Urban's going to really step away. And I said, well, Dan, are you going to tell him that? Are you going to tell him <laughs> that he's going to get off the headset and, right. and not, not poach in on offense? Because that's well, yeah. his deal. It's his offense. So, yeah. I mean, so we can all talk about this in January and say, yeah, now it's Ryan Day's offense. Okay. All right. Well, what happens against TCU next year in, in Jerry World if the offense is sluggish in the third quarter? You think Urban's going to take the headset off and go? No, no, it's Ryan Day's offense. Like I don't think so. Not knowing Urban. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know how think, much Ryan I'm Day. Certainly not. I yeah, go ahead. Pressing that. Like it. it, it that's that's know. what's so crazy about it to me because I'm with you on that. Like to. I don't. Yeah. There had to be something though because you don't. You don't. It, you brought up the Vrabel thing. Um, you know, obviously, I was there when Mike was there, and when when he was the one hire that Luke made when Luke was the interim head coach, and I was covering the team on a daily basis through Mike's entire time in Columbus. And Mike, Mike is a self assured, uh, boy, he's he's cocky, he's arrogant, <laughs> uh, he's incredibly competent, incredibly competent, incredibly competitive, and I don't know what type of guy he would be to work for but my guess is is that he would leave the offense to whoever he hires as his offensive coordinator and his focus would be on the defense right and so you would get all the credit for that and so i listen i want to be very clear i'm not sitting here telling anybody that i believe gene smith or urban meyer told ryan day you are the next head coach at ohio state when urban meyer leaves in fill in the blank years three years five years two years whatever but i think they like him a lot and i wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of dialogue or assurance that if 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 urban were to step away relatively soon you'd get a hell of an at bat at this thing um and you could do a lot worse you could do a lot worse with that job um i know that people would say oh you call who you're going to call you're going to call herman look herman's not coming back he's a texas he's not coming back so uh, forget that. But um, I, I think that's an, this is a really interesting thing. And I guess what I'm, I guess in summation, what I'm saying is, is what I believe is that this is not simply Ryan Day turns down the NFL to call plays at Ohio State. <laughs> there, it has, I think there's more it to it than more. that. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I don't buy it on the surface. Yeah, it doesn't. To me, that is such an odd uh, overall decision. And again, I'm not trying to hate on Ohio State at all. I it just, to me, like I was watching this kind of unfold and I'm like, you know, this is the kind of thing that you would expect a lifer at Ohio State. You know, this is the kind of decision that you would think like a Luke Fickle would make where it's like, OK, well, you've got obviously deep, deep ties to university. Right. You know, you've been a, an assistant there for a really long time. 
I mean, again, this isn't to say anything against Ryan Day or Impuna's character, but you would think that a dude would who maybe doesn't have those same kind of ties would be a little bit more of a you know a head hunter when it comes to this and say I want to get the best job I can. Yeah. And I don't know. It's interesting how it's going to play out, you know, and especially if he ends up looking for jobs after next season or how the offense unfolds. I mean, there's so many variables that you're going to be looking at. And maybe it's the opportunity to, um, you know, basically mold an offense completely, you know, with so many people leaving. And then, you've, you know, you've got a lot of things that you can kind of do on your own and really put your own stamp on it. But I don't know, man. I it's he would be a fascinating interview as somebody just really yes. the head of because this is such a crazy like it's such a interesting decision. I don't want to say crazy because I don't know what his motivations are, but um yeah, it's it's a fascinating story. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they they distribute those responsibilities. He would be a fascinating interview if hooked up to a lie detector. <laughs> right. That's yes, what would be exactly. fascinating. You know, the real Right, understand the real truth to it because it's on the surface to turn down an SEC job if you're to believe he turned down Mississippi State and you're to believe he turned down an NFL coordinator job and not just a NFL, a good NFL coordinator job where you would get all of the credit. Like, you know, if he takes that Tennessee job, he's not coaching under an offensive guru. The offense would be his. So think about that. In two years, you can get another NFL job. If, maybe even in one year, if he lights it up in one year, he could be, look at Sean McVay. Be the head coach of the Rams or something. I mean, the Chargers, who knows, in a year if he lit it up with Marcus Mariota. In the meantime, Urban's last offensive coordinator had to go to Houston for two years, prove that he could win, and now he's at Texas, but he still had to go to Houston first. So, th- I mean, I don't know. I just feel like there's more to it, and, you know, maybe it'll come out, maybe it won't, but it feels to me like there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, all right, uh, still to come, we will do Ask Us Anything. But first, coming up next, we're going to be joined by former Buckeye, good friend of the program, current head basketball writer for The Ringer. He is Mark Titus. Before we do that, though, we do encourage you to check out the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. All sorts of good stuff for you there. All right, still to come, Ask Us Anything. But first things first, a 9-0 and Ohio State basketball team. Whoever would have thunk that? We will get to that. But before we do, we encourage you to check out the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. All sorts of goodies there. You know what's there. It's good stuff. Go buy it. Make us all happy. Uh, we do encourage you to die, do that. Drygoods.11warriors.com. My friend, we have a 9-0 and basketball team. After beating Michigan State, I remember saying, it's one thing to beat the number one team in the country, and Michigan State was at that time. It's one thing to beat the number one team in the country at your place on a Sunday night in a big spot. It's another thing to maintain focus for the five games that follow that. And I remember thinking if they went three and two over that stretch, um, that that would be pretty damn good. And they went five and zero. Oh. And this last week, there's nothing flashy. These were not pretty wins. These were all gut check wins. These were what type of onions did he have wins? Uh, when you talk about going to Rosemont Horizon and playing Northwestern in a sterile environment and Northwestern was there to win the game and you outlasted them and you got the win. And you think about a couple of days later on a Saturday, Jim Delaney decides it's a good idea to play Ohio State, Minnesota at noon at Madison Square Garden. We set the over under on that game at 5,000. They listed the attendance at 4,100, meaning there's probably about two grand, 2,000 people at Madison Square Garden that had to be cavernous and sterile. It looked it on TV and they won handily. And then you think about a Monday night returning home after all of that two days later to play a Nebraska team that is red hot 
and who is dying to get a signature win. And Nebraska's up three late in the second half, and you hold them off and win again. We talk a lot on this show and on, uh, on a lot of things we do about give a, give a damn factor, and the give a damn factor for this team is off the charts. We ran a soundbite today on the television show that we do um, from Jay Sean Tate, where Jay Sean is just beaming, and he says, I've never been on a team where people don't care what role they play so long as they have a role where everybody gets along and everybody checks their ego at the door. It's apparent when you watch them play. It's a tribute to Chris Holtman and the job that he's done and his staff, and it's a tribute to the leaders on the team because this is a tough team mentally, physically, the whole way around. And now all of a sudden we have a team that, boy, are we looking at a two-seed in the NCAA tournament? I mean, that's (laughs) kind of where we're headed. This is a crazy time, but this has been – pure joy to watch uh the style of play and the way they go about their business it's a lot of fun and i i think you know what tate was kind of talking about there is what enables them to sustain this a little bit because when you have maybe a star that has an off night or when you are playing teams that are deliberately slowing the game down as much as they possibly can uh to limit you know ohio state going on these crazy runs that they've been able to do i think it's important i think it's imperative that you have you know, faith in your teammates that any single guy could step up and start making shots as opposed to just looking to one guy and say, okay, we need you to make 15 shots right now. Or we're not going to win. Uh, and that enables them to, you know, sustain runs and to, you know, fend off other teams that are starting to, you know, maybe find uh, their stroke from three or something like that. So, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, in all these games that they're winning, it's, it's different guys who are stepping up. And in my opinion, because they have the confidence to do that because they see a team that isn't just directed through Kata Bates. Yeah, he's the best player on the team. He's scoring the most points. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that other players can't contribute or feel that he has to be the sole, uh, you know, provider of the offense. So I I just, I really like how the team's structured. They can definitely have an off night and maybe lose to a, you know, a kind of a crappy team that's in the cards that could happen. But honestly, like the way they're winning games, it doesn't seem likely. And, you know, Nebraska, like you said, Nebraska came in. They they wanted to get that win. They've been playing really well of late. They look good towards the end of the game. And Ohio State still found a way to pull it off. And that's what teams have to do if you want to compete in the Big Ten tournament, if you want to compete in the NCAA tournament. That's the mentality that you got to have. That's what they're showing. And I think it's awesome. Great teams have no let up. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know what I'm gonna, what I'm willing to concede with this team, because it doesn't make any sense. But boy, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going, the, the type of wins they are having, are wins that great teams have. This was a tough stretch, not because Minnesota Northwestern or Nebraska were super teams. No, but those were sterile environments with desperate teams in need of wins, and in certainly in the case of Northwestern and Nebraska every opportunity to lose the games and they didn't and it's that to me man that's the sign of a great team and i don't i don't know maybe maybe that the only as I, as i say a two seed and all that stuff and what are they capable of and i'm not quite sure what i'm really ready to say that they are capable of the only thing that i see lacking for this team from making a run and i mean like really have like sweet 16 is you know some crazy stuff like that which would no one ever would have talked about 2 months ago is I, they're not great, you know. They don't have like a great floor general, point guard guy, right? Um, and that's kind of the only thing where you look at them and go, boy, if they just had a guy there, that's really all that's missing because everything else um, is pretty good. But what you love about them, you love that Bates D up shows up every day. 
I mean, if you think about those three games, uh, you know, that we were talking about, you think about Potter was great in the Northwestern game. Wesson was great in the Minnesota game. And, and certainly Jay Sean Tate was incredible uh, in the game against Nebraska. So, I mean, that they're on a hell of a roll now. And it's fun. And it's changed the expectations of the team. Mark, you on? Yeah, I'm here. Just jump in. Hey. Uh, this is Mark Titus. He's the head college <laughs> basketball writer for The Ringer. Doing great. I was watching uh, Oklahoma and Kansas, and it just was <laughs> a euphoric experience. I only needed a few minutes to calm down. <laughs> How about Trey? Uh, Trey only took like 12 shots tonight instead know, of 39. I know. It's crazy. I know. I was, I was hoping for the 39 experience, but he, he only shot 12 times. So. <laughs> well, Lon was not having it over the weekend. I mean, he was he's he's trying to break the colt over the weekend. I noticed with the uh, with the quick pull in the first half of the game. Right, so he's right, a joy to yeah. watch, though. The kid's fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think he, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way because he does not play like as I don't need to tell you guys that uh, college basketball fans are very um, old school with their approach towards how the game should be played and all that kind of right. stuff. And he does not fit into that mold. But uh, yeah, he's a ton of fun to watch for sure. Speaking I mean, of a ton of fun, a guy to watch, like. Oh, go ahead. Well, do you see a guy like that at Ohio State? I mean, do you see somebody who can be that? Unco- I mean, look, because Kata Bates, I've had what, like six games or something last season. And I was talking, we got the chance to talk to Chris Holtman a little bit uh, before the season started. And I said something really stupid, <laughs> which is not surprising because I say a lot of stupid things. But I told him, I was like, look, I don't know like how much people are going to get invested in Ohio State basketball during football season because they're so distracted and they need a dude, right? They need a guy that they can kind of like focus on. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore because I think winning is just kind of what people can focus on now because they're winning. Um, But I don't know what, am I, am I wrong in saying that? Am I wrong in thinking that maybe like Katie Bates Diop needs to be a little bit more like, you know, out there or flashy for people, at least the fans to get in and not have 10,000 people against Nebraska on a, right. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I mean, there's there's a lot of it's a chicken egg thing um, with with the whole atmosphere at the shot. I mean, I I see both sides to it. It's like, man, I wish more fans would go to the games. But then I say that from the comfort of my own home, right? Playing a home game, you know, and I'm like, yeah. that's. I guess I can't really say much because I also don't want to go to the shot and sit in an airplane hangar to watch basketball when you got like a fantastic college basketball arena two blocks away. Um, not even that, St. John Arena, just like right across the right. street. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, like, as far as this team is concerned, like, the excitement and all that, um, the one thing it has going for us is even even as we're ranked, like, I think 13th was in this latest poll, we still feel like an underdog. I mean, we're still a team that doesn't belong here. I think there's, like, a certain vibe to the – like, the team is very confident, but they also have, like, their head on a swivel. Like, we – the secret is out now. People are after us, and we don't want to be exposed and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's, like – an underdog feel to this team and the fans feel it too. I mean, we certainly didn't expect, I think most people, most reasonable minds expected if Ohio state can get on the bubble this year, that would be a success in Chris Holman's first year. And now, I mean, what, we might be like a four seed if the tournament started today. So um, in a weird way, I think the excitement stems from being sort of an underdog and just like going on this ride and just seeing where they're going to take us. Cause for the first time in a very long time, these guys are actually excited to play for the name on the front of the jersey, which makes me sound like I'm 80 years old, I know, to, to use that <laughs> cliche. But but that's that's been the concern the past few years. Was I mean, every every Ohio State fan I talked to is like, I don't don't necessarily care about the wins and losses. I just want the players to care more than I do watching the game. And it's so weird how I care for my couch more than the guys who are actually playing in the game. And that's certainly not the case this year. And so uh, it's been a ton of fun. 
we, we call it give a damn meter. Um, yeah, right. Pretty good give a damn meter on this team. I mean, you look at the three games they played this week, Mark. Um, and this, you know, I mean, you talk about playing an air, airplane hangar and the shot's pathetic. We, we kind of all know that. But, I mean, they played at Rosemont Horizon against Northwestern and Northwestern team desperate for a win. Northwestern's fighting back in that game. And they hold them off. Then Jim Delaney decides it's a good idea to play Minnesota uh, Ohio State at high noon at Madison Square Garden, and they announced the attendance at four thousand. I mean, to me, there couldn't have been two thousand people there. And then they they handle that business. Then two days later, Nebraska gives them everything that they have, and they yeah. they're up three late, and they have the intestinal fortitude to stick with it and get a win. And and I guess what what from the outside looking in, and I, and I hosted the Mata Show for many years, and Thad and I have a, an, a mutual appreciation for Bourbon, and I love him. And um, and I know that from the outside looking in, it's like, look, see, we had to make a coaching change. And I don't buy that. Um, I, no. I think there's a lot of facets to that uh, that lead to this. And I think sometimes addition by subtraction on the roster helps as well. Certainly, right. Kate Bates off helps. As you look at, I mean, they're 9-0, and man. Like, all of a sudden, we got to have expectations. This changed everything. As you start to pinpoint what led to this, what, where, what roadmap do you follow? I think you're exactly right. The, the addition by subtraction. Um, I, I don't necessarily need to name specific names. I think most people can deduce yeah. the, the one or two names. Um, everyone's kind of got that already covered. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. I'm 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 putting a weird spot being an Ohio State fan, alum, former player, all that kind of stuff. And I, you won't find a bigger Thad Mata fan in the world than I am. And anytime you say anything nice about Thad, it's like, man, why do you hate Chris Holman so much? Isn't he doing a great right. job? And it's like. I, <laughs> I love them both. I even talked to I even talked to Coach Holman about this just the other day. I went to practice and I was he, he first of all he's like the nicest guy in the world. After practice, he comes and talks to me for like a half an hour and he has no reason to. And I was just blown away by him taking the time to do that. But we were talking about these sorts of things and he's got the utmost respect for Thad. And he'll tell you the same thing that like Thad might have left him with a ton of talent and um and he I mean we he and I were hashing out. He's like, yeah, I watched film last year. They're just guys who suck the energy out of the team and you can sort of feel it. Uh, Kata coming back is definitely a huge thing. I mean, I think most for the last couple of years, every time I went to practice or talked to coaches or players or whatever in the program, every single one of them would be like, Kata is by far our best player. He's unbelievable. Um, I hope it comes out in the games. And for various reasons, it didn't. I mean, last year he was hurt for the entire year. Uh, even the games he did play in, he wasn't 100%. Um, so that that's definitely a help. But as we've seen already this year, I mean, it's not just Kata. Like, he, he didn't play particularly well at Northwestern, and they still played well. I mean, I think Caleb Weston's really good. And a weird, like, the way I would describe Weston is, like, he's not even good yet, and he's still good. And, like, I'm so <laughs> excited to watch what happens with him because there's so many times he makes, like, a post move and has a little baby hook, and he misses it, and you're like, you got to make that shot, dude. And he's still – like, when he starts hitting those, he's going to be Jared Solander 2.0. And, right, um, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think there's just a, there's a lot of things that go into it. And rather than point fingers at like what was wrong and what what like was, I mean, l- listen. If you think Thad Mod was holding the team back in any way, you need to get your head checked. Um, he he, right. like the guy, the guy went to more Final Fours and and won more Big Ten championships than like the program had won in like 50 years before he got here. I mean, like he we people do not care about Ohio State basketball unless Thad Mata makes them care. So. Um, I, I don't think I don't think we even need to bother pointing fingers and doing all that. I think it's just like, hey man, enjoy enjoy what we're seeing this year because this is a lot of fun. So I mean, because that's the thing. Because I I mean I would agree with you on that. And, and Mod is you know clearly probably at this point you know maybe one of the best or the best basketball coach that Ohio State basketball's had. But what does I mean? Because you've got Chris Holtman, you've got a lot of talent. You're making it work. You're figuring things out. 
how is he different as a coach? Well, I mean, I'm not saying uh, that that Thad Mata yeah. wouldn't be able to necessarily do that with the same talent, but where does he differ? Because I've heard people talk about he's like really level headed and that kind of extends to the team. But yeah, not, you know, these two guys aren't the same dude. Like, what's he doing differently? Right. They're they're very similar in how they run practices and how they 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 both both coaches are very uh, their number one motivation. You can tell is relationships. I can certainly speak to Coach Mott on that as I've experienced from what I've been around Holdman. I can tell that it's he, he's more concerned with like building relationships with his players and and ho- helping them achieve what they're trying to accomplish and all that sort of stuff rather than his own personal gain of like, I need to get these wins. I need to make more money, make me famous, whatever. Um, so that goes a long way and, and, and players feed off of that and they, they enjoy that as for like a distinct difference. You can tell, I guess like X to nose wise, Holman has a looser, I guess, more progressive offensive approach. Um, he's willing to take more chances. I think than Thad would have been Thad was, I mean, coach Mata found success doing it his way. And it, it, in college, coaches are nothing if not stubborn sometimes and um you know when you, when a guy has success running an offense with with Greg Oden and going to the final four and then doing it again with Jared Solinger and going to the final four and like that's what he's found success doing it's kind of hard as the game progresses into positionless basketball and three-point shooting becomes like what everyone wants to do and, and spread the floor and all that kind of stuff it's hard to go away from that and um I, I think there's some of that. I know. I, I mean, Holman's definitely willing to experiment in that regard. I mean, we've seen Kata Bates D out playing center, which is, I, I guarantee you never would have saw <laughs> right. that from Thad Mata. So um, stuff like that that I think uh, if, if you're looking for like a, a difference to pinpoint, I would say Chris Holman's a little more progressive and, and kind of how he approaches the game. And I guess the, the analogy would be like maybe Trestle and, and Urban for everyone listening that knows X's and O's of football. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know football that well. But based on based on what I know about football, it feels like that would be a good analogy. So. <laughs> you you um you 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 mentioned that Ohio State has a great build. I, I like taking shots at the shot when I can because it just seems so yeah. ill conceived from Jump Street. Um, so they decided to put all this money into the facility. You know, in the last couple of years, and the basketball facility there is now it's, it's really it's really great. It's nice. It's a good spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't change. Um, what that building is, is there any, and I don't think they're going to level it now. Certainly. I always had hopes that they would, and, um, they're not going to, and it's a shame, but, uh, they have this great thing in St. John arena and that's clearly where they should be playing. That being said, you play there, you're very familiar. What, is there anything they can do to the shot to make it not what it is? Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's everything. It's the fact that they don't have a parking garage for, for people to walk. I mean, it's everything is wrong. It's all wrong and it feels to me like if you're familiar with the hbo show oz like that's what i used to call it I'm like I'm going, to, I'm going to oz man like it felt feels like a state penitentiary to me everything's gray i've never seen so much exposed concrete it's just right. a dump it's just a big dump it's, okay i mean how do you fix there, it i mean there there are no re- i honestly i have there are no redeeming qualities about the place i mean i i, okay. I hate I, I hate the arena so much um my the only solution i could think to like make an atmosphere better it is to not play in the shot, obviously, but like, right. I, I guess like do in a perfect world, how we could, we could play one or two games in St. John. Could we not, could we not do like, like, which I saw the, the, the marketing department at Ohio state or something. We had the, the game against Maryland was considered throwback Thursday and we wore the retro jerseys. And I saw on right. social media, they were doing all the throwback stuff. Let's do a throwback game every year and play it in St. John. And every, every time we played Michigan or something or in Indiana, like, cause Indiana used to be good. Like in the nineties when we last played in St. John and like the, the Ohio state, Indiana games were great in St. John arena. Like maybe there's, there's some sort of tie in there where like 
we could play one or two games at St. John, right? Like, yeah. give the fans something to get excited about. Maybe I want to like say the first game after f- football season, so it's like an introduction. It's like basketball right. year now. I don't know. Yeah. You, know why, you know why they're really not going like... to do that, though? You know why they're not going to do that? It's because people enjoy it too much, and they would get really, yeah, really true. pissed when they have to go back to the shot that's true. and have a game. And, and look, Dude, I was so pissed when they started adding on and making that basketball facility because I always just in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe they'll just level this damn thing. They got infinite yeah. money. <laughs> like, maybe they'll just level it. And we can just go make St. John what it's supposed to be and do state-of-the-art around that like everybody else does. And now that they did that, I think we're just stuck. Um, I, I want to ask you two philosophical questions, big picture about basketball. Number one, you mentioned how basketball's changed with everybody shooting the three. Um, to me, I, the Golden State Warriors were the real tipping point with this. They really changed the way they – they took it to a whole other level. I mean, if you go back, you know, Paul Westhead's – there's certainly some Nuggets teams in the 90s that played that way, and Don Nelson had some some parts of that. And certainly D'Antoni had some of that in the Suns as well, but nothing quite like this Golden State thing where everybody's positionless, everybody shoots, and they've won with it. So I think that was really the tipping point. But what's stunning to me, Mark, is um, I, I went to a sixth-grade basketball uh, game a couple weeks ago up here in Northeast Ohio, and it was positionless. And these kids, dude, were shooting from 22 feet, and they're not strong enough to do it. And I yeah. just am st- like, is there any putting this genie back in the bottle or are we yeah, just in bad. this era where everybody thinks they can shoot from 25 feet, even when they're 11? I get, yeah, it's bad. It's very bad. The, the, the other part, I guess if I can be selfish for, for a quick second, um, I, it sucks for guys like me who this was my, this was the one thing I could do growing up was like shoot threes. I was a great shooter. Yeah. I couldn't do anything <laughs> else. Couldn't move my feet for anything. So now I go play pickup games. And everybody I play with is Jack and threes. And, and then when I do it, people like kind of roll their eyes. They just, they kind of like, I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer special. You know, like I used to be like the guy that go in there and just rain threes. Yeah. And they're like, damn, this guy's got a skill set that we haven't really, you know, like, dang, that's tough. I'm not special anymore. Guys like me are, are going to go extinct because everyone's doing it, but you're absolutely right. Like I am actually kind of worried about that, that kids are shooting three. I mean, I've gone to a handful of high school games too, around Ohio, like around Columbus area. And then it seems to, it just trickled down to the whole thing. I mean, conventional wisdom for a hundred years said jump shooting teams can't win. I just because at mm-hmm. a certain point you're going to go cold. This is certainly the case in the NCAA tournament. By the way, we still haven't solved yeah. that problem. Is that you're going to see in March teams that rely heavily on the three. I mean, this has been Villanova's problem. People that don't pay a ton of attention and you say, how does Villanova have the best program in the past five years, probably in all of college basketball? And they've made it out of the first round or the the first week in one time was the year they won the national title. The answer is they shoot a ton of threes. And when you go cold, mm-hmm. all it takes is one day, and that's it. And this was what everyone kind of went by. And then the Warriors come along, and they just don't go cold. And the thing is, like, you look at that and you think, well, why don't we do what they do? And the answer is because you're not Steph Curry. You're not Clay Thompson. <laughs> like, you right. can't – Like the, the, I, I think conventional wisdom still holds up that you can't jack a ton of threes and have sustained success. It's just – those that just speaks to how good the Warriors actually are, that they – they just had, they just don't go cold. They're such great shooters. I mean, Thompson and Curry are two of the best, like probably five or six shooters in NBA history, and they're on the same team at the same time in their prime at the exact same time. So, yeah. um, I, I I wish more people kind of knew that. Like, it's it, it it's definitely a more fun product to watch, at least for me. Uh, when it becomes mm-hmm. like threes and you spread it out, and then when when defenses start creeping up to guard the threes, you drive by them and dunk on them. Like, it makes for a fun product, but. As far as sustaining the winning, uh, especially in, the, in, a, in a college basketball format where the tournament is is lose and go home and, and it takes one bad night, um, 
I, it, I, I certainly hope like Ohio State is. I, I would be very nervous if we were a team that jacked like thirty threes a game for sure. Yeah, no, you're exactly right that it hasn't worked, and in, in on the college level, and and certainly if you have three of the ten best three point shooters of all time, I mean, that, you know, like Golden State, it's a false sense of confidence. Um, the other thing I want to ask you, I am as a I covered big time college sports for uh, 15, 16, 17 years, something like that, and down in the South, and and covered some legendary coaches. I am a little surprised at what Coach K is doing at Duke. From the standpoint of, if you don't follow college basketball recruiting, he gets Zion Williamson over the weekend, right? And I know you did a podcast with this, your One Shining Podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, so maybe you answer this question there. But are you, are you at all surprised? It, it would seem to me that if anybody was going to take a stand on one and done and say, you know what, this just is not for me. Um, I mean, he's won a national championship, not lots of them. I mean, he's, he's the best of all time, right? And, right, and yet he's recruiting these kids who you know damn good and well aren't getting into Duke. And he's right. taking he's getting three three the three best players in the country. He's out Calipari-ing Calipari. He's out right. Kentucky-ing Kentucky at Duke. And to me, I'm a little surprised at this stage in his career. Like everybody's competitive, and that's got to be it. Like he's like, damn it, I'm gonna if there's a championship to be won, I'll do it at all cost. And that's what he's doing. And it's it's a little shocking to me that he hasn't taken more of a stand on it. Are you at all surprised at well, the way that he's gone about his business? First of all, he did take a stand on it, like back in 2009, when he was like, "This is right. this is ruining the game," and then now he's <laughs> he's completely changed his mind. Um, I I am surprised. I mean, I I'm completely shocked. Uh, by I'm I'm not shocked, I guess, because this is this is I guess what makes him such a great coach is that he's willing to adapt. And as I said, we were kind of talking about that that sometimes coaches get stubborn, and Coach K is willing to kind of go with the flow and figure out what the what the thing is. But I still am surprised he's like gone this far into like yeah. he's he, he's completely lost the plot at this point. Like everything that for however many years he's been coaching, 30, 40, I've lost track at this point. He's had success doing it kind of a, a specific way. And and Duke has built a whole brand. Like that's that's what their brand is, is that we are right. we don't always take the best kid, we take the Duke kid, you know, and, and right. that's like what the what they're all about. And um it is a little surprising for sure. I mean the the inside baseball sort of reasoning behind this is he he hired Jeff Capel, his former player, who was at Oklahoma. He gets hired in 2011, um, and at that point, I think Austin Rivers and Kyrie Irving were like the only two one and dones that they had. And even Austin Rivers wasn't like going to necessarily obviously be one and done. Um, mm-hmm. Kyrie was pretty obviously one and done, but he even played for Duke, so I, I don't even know if we really should count him. Uh, but those were like the only two guys. And then Capel gets hired. And like in 2011, the, the switch just gets flipped and they start just going all in on this one and done thing. And, and yeah, as you said, we, we did talk about this on our, our, my podcast, one shiny pot. I, ho- I hosted with the UNC alum who, so he's like beside himself about Duke recruiting yeah. and all that. But he, his, his theory actually makes a lot of sense is that Capel is now in position to become the next coach. So it's basically like K letting Capel run his style or like, He's like, this is how I want to run it when you leave. And so they're kind of like transitioning that way. But um, it's pretty shocking. I mean, the guy has, has basically sold a soul at this point. And it's, it, I don't know. I, I, guess, well, I guess the response I have is like, yeah, like you don't this have. Was Cal's I, I, deal. <laughs> right. You know? this is, it, Cal, Cal's beside himself, by the way. He's like totally shook by this. He's, <laughs> I bet. He has no this idea is his whole do. deal. That's his whole yeah. program is based on this. And now you're seeing his Kentucky team this year that's dreadful because he didn't get the three best players in the country because they're all at Duke. Right, right. And they're not getting them next year. Like Kentucky's recruiting class isn't anything 
particularly special next year. Um, yeah, it's it's. Listen, personally, I I don't mind it. I think it's like like a lot of people. I, I think from the outside looking in, if you don't really pay attention to college basketball, you might assume that like Kentucky and Duke are dominating everybody, and it's, and it's right. But that's not the case. So I don't really care. I mean, I'm not really jealous of Duke. Duke is a Duke's won one national title playing this game. Kentucky's won one playing the one and done game. UConn has won two since like Coach K changed right. his recruiting style. So, um, I mean, Villanova has not had a one and done ever I don't think and they've won they've been the, as I said the best team in the last five years so there's a lot of different ways to do it and it's not really jealousy it's just more like intrigue and like like you said like the kind of curiosity it's like why why is this man doing this at this point That's in his it. career he's got five years left probably and he's just completely throwing it all away this whole brand if there that was he's built. ever a guy to not do it yeah and as you said he stated I'm, I hate it it's ruining it if there was ever a guy not to do it it's him and then at this stage, he says, oh, the hell with it. I want to win so bad. I mean, it's like a Saban yeah. move, you know? And, and he was always, way, you know, yeah, Krzyzewski was always so pious. Like, it was like he was above all of this. And now he's in the muck at the end. It's crazy. By the way, they're not even winning that much. They haven't won. No, since, they you're have, right. They have not won an ACC title since 2010 when they won the, they won the national title with their last, like, real Duke team where they had Singler and those like, guys. Singler and Nolan Smith yeah. and uh, John Shire were, like, their three-headed monster that year. Like that was the last thing, and then they kind of switched their style. They haven't won an ACC title since then. They have won one national championship. I think that was their only Final Four they've been to as well. So, um, right. I mean, they're they're that's certainly really winning a lot of games, and they're they're making a ton of headlines. But it's not it's not even really working. That's the other part. <laughs> I just had to ask you about it, and I I just yeah. saw that you did the podcast on it, so I'll go listen to the podcast and get an extended thoughts on it. But it's something that's been you know kind of brewing in my head, you know, since the weekend when I heard him come in. I thought. Boy, this is two years in a row that he's really gone all in, and there's so many facets to it. I guess the other note is that the three guys that they have, the top three players, all pretty much the the same position. They're all like 6'6", like 240, small forward slash maybe power forward. Like they they all play the same position. So next year, uh, it's great that he's got the three best players, but it's like you just recruited the three best quarterbacks in the country, and now you got to put two of them on the. I, I don't know how they're going to play them all together at the same <laughs> right. time. Like what? But I don't think he cares. I think he's just like I want to win this. I want to. I don't know. I, maybe he's just trying Weird. to kill Cal. Maybe it's like he he hates the one and done game so much <laughs> that he's playing it so he can put Cal out of business, and then he can quit doing it too. And then, I don't know. Maybe that's the long now, con or something. <laughs> I could get behind that if he's doing it yeah. out of spite. I because yeah. I like spite. So Spice if this is, is all motivator. out of spite, yeah. If this is all out of spite over for Cal, then I then I, that's something I can get behind. You may have yeah. something there, buddy. I had to ask. I mean, I just it was something I I really appreciate. I knew you'd have a lot to say on it, and I'll listen to the podcast um, as yeah. soon as we're done here. We really appreciate your time, buddy, on a Tuesday. Yeah, no problem, man. I I, I enjoy doing it. Yeah, anytime, especially when Ohio State's playing well, it's fun to talk about them. So. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And Thanks they for coming on. Are. He is Mark Titus. He is the head bas- college basketball writer at The Ringer, and he is one of the hosts of the One Shining Podcast with Titus and Tate. Uh, do check that out. It's a good listen. I really enjoyed the one you did on uh, Sleeping Giants of college basketball as well, so lots of good stuff to, to take in there. Thanks for the time, Mark. All right. Thanks, guys. Be good. And don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter. Rate and subscribe if you get your, uh, your, 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 your podcast on the iTunes. So please do that for us. All right. Time for some Ask Us Anything as we close the show out. My friend, what do you have for us? All right, well, again, you guys can ask us anything. Send us an email to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Uh, this one's for me, uh, and, and you can you can chime in because I'm curious about your perspective yep. on this. But this is from Alvin. 
He wants to know what is a teacher's perspective on teachers' pets. Uh, do teachers, you know, have favorites hmm. or play favorites? I'm curious. So I don't look. I don't have specific um, student favorites. There, I mean, basically, I, I abide by the uh, the principle that I give every single student the opportunity to piss me off on any given day. <laughs> Uh, which they frequently do. There are ki- and look, there are kids that I um, just adore and I think are really great students, and you know I want them in my class all the time. But they can be jerks, you know, sometimes. And I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna not call them out for being jerks. They're being a jerk. You're being a jerk, and we gotta take care of that. Uh, really, I just have a soft spot for kids who they got a lot of stuff stacked against them, and then mm-hmm. they work really hard anyway. And I will cut those kids some slack, right? Like if yeah. I know there's a kid who. You know, maybe they got problems at home or maybe they've got other things going on in their life, and but they're still trying hard. I'm going to cut them some slack. So in that sense, do I play favorites a little bit, I guess? But there aren't any kids that I'm just like unconditionally. Yeah, you're the best. You're awesome. Now, do I think some teachers do that? Yes. Uh, but I really try consciously not to fall into that trap because sometimes you're just having a crappy day. You just want to, you know, you just yeah. want some ray of sunshine and you're just going to gravitate like, OK, I'll help that get out and try to make myself feel better. but. Uh, you got to try to avoid that a little bit, I think. I'm glad. I think the simplest, you know, not being a teacher, but what you want, what anybody, what a parent, as I'm a parent, my kids are in school. All I want is a fair shake. And and that's basically what you explained. You know, my kids are going to have certain advantages that other kids don't. Other kids have certain advantages that mine don't. You just want a level playing field. That's it. And and it seems like that's basically what you explained there is a level playing field. So that's yeah. I mean, I you're human. You're not a robot. You know, there's going to be naturally you are going to like some kids more than others. Some kids are jerks. Some kids, you know, I think that makes right. sense. Well, let me tell you. So because I was I was maybe not the greatest kid in the uh, in the universe when I was in high school. Like I got in trouble yeah. a lot and I talked too much and all this other stuff. And I remember specifically, you know, no kid likes getting picked on. I remember specifically I was in one class uh, at the beginning of the day. I had my head down. I wasn't really saying anything. And class had just started. Some kid shouts at me from the other side of the room and says, hey, Johnny, and just yells at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look up and I didn't say anything. And the teacher turns to me and says, Johnny, shut up. <laughs> and I was like, I just got to throw my hands. Up. I was like, I can't like there's nothing I can can't do win. here. Like I've clearly lost. <laughs> and there's some people who are going to advantage. Some people don't. And I've never forgotten that. And so I try to yeah. maintain a level playing field as much as I possibly can. Um, because it can be frustrating for the kid, and I I get that. Um, so that's yeah, that's that's the answer on that. So we got another question here. This is this is a little interesting here. This is uh, from Mike. Mike wants to know, um, in the world of college football coaching, who do you think is a person who might be um unexpectedly great at Ohio State? Like maybe a coach that is semi well known and somebody who maybe doesn't get a lot of like flashy accolades, but who could come into Ohio State especially given maybe our previous conversation and, and kick some butt. Right. Uh, without any time to prepare, who's a guy who would be very good at Ohio State? Yeah. So I think Ohio State has built-in advantages. Like, you're, you you know, Trestle was a very good recruiter. He wasn't a great recruiter, certainly not on the urban level, but there was a tremendous amount of success under Trestle because of the advantages of Ohio State because Trestle won. Like, for mm-hmm. example, I think Gary Patterson would be great. I mean, yeah. I think he could, and I, he's not flashy and he, you know, he's nothing that anybody would probably be too jacked about, but I think Gary Patterson would come in here and Ohio state would play incredibly well for him. He wouldn't recruit the way urban's recruiting, but he would be somebody who I think it would be mirrored like the trestle years, which were incredible. 
So I think it would be something like that. I think there's a guy just off the top of my head. Yeah, I, it's interesting you say Gary Patterson because when Michigan was looking for a new coach after Rich Rodriguez, I thought he was the dude they were going to go after hard. I thought yeah, he was right. like the guy. And I think they kind of made overtures toward him, but I don't think they really pursued him all that hard. I think Gary Patterson would be great at Ohio State. I think he would do really well. Um, yeah. And also, this question also makes me think about just how insanely lucky Ohio State has been <laughs> in finding people because if it, like, you know, is Bo Pelini like is Bo Pelini gonna lead Ohio State to a national mm-hmm. championship and Big Ten championships? <laughs> like I just think of this. The, the in, Razor's in edge terms. That the coaches searches yeah. sit on is just insane to me. It just cracks me up. So, think about this. The last five coaches, and Urban will be, but the last five coaches at Ohio State are all college football hall of famers. Right. <laughs> think about that. Think about that. I mean, you no. go to any other school in the country. Start with your current coach and count back f- to five and tell me how many are college football hall of who else could make that claim? There can't be another team in the country. There can't be another program in the country. Alabama sure as hell can't. Right. I mean, who could? Yeah, I don't think anybody five else. Ohio State coaches are Hall of Fame coaches. College football hall of fame coaches. Yeah, they're lucky. They've had a hell of a run. Yeah. They're due I don't, for I mean, a bad hire. I and that's and I think that's why that question maybe is really important because you yeah. know you got to make sure you're making that right call if you want to keep that going because there is a lot of disadvantages that Ohio State has uh, compared to some other schools that they've been able to cover up with excellent coaching and recruiting. And if that kind of falls off a little bit, then you maybe start to look a little bit like Michigan and nobody wants to talk about that. So no, uh, no. we've we've got a much more extensive question uh, in the wings. I'm going to, I'm going to hold that for uh, for a future date because it's very detailed and intense. So we'll keep that for a little bit. Uh, But yeah, that's ask us anything. Please continue sending those in. We really appreciate them. All right. Very good. My friend, Uh, again, congratulations to you. We want to thank Mark Mark Titus for, for joining us on the program tonight. Very good stuff out of the shark as always. And we'll be back next week uh, for more conversation. Who knows where this off season is going to lead on the football standpoint and certainly a basketball team that's rolling. So lots to talk about and we'll do it right here next week. Thanks for listening guys. And Johnny, I'll see you next week, buddy. See you next week.